This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and welcome to The Twilight Show. Today I'm joined by Rachel Lucas, who is a teacher based in Jacksonville, Florida, in the US. Rachel also runs the Tech for World Language Teachers website and YouTube channel, and so we'll be talking mainly about language teaching and learning and technology. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to The Twilight Show, everyone. I'm Graham Stanley speaking to you live from Mexico City. As I mentioned in the introduction on to, to today's show, I'll be talking to Rachel Lucas, uh, who is a passionate Spanish instructor and EdTech mentor with a remarkable 19-year career dedicated to the field. Rachel's enthusiasm lies in supporting busy world language educators, helping them engage their students effectively while improving their language proficiency and skills. She's the founder also of the Tech for World Language Teachers blog and a flourishing online community on Facebook, where she fosters a collaborative environment. Rachel is also a visionary founder of the World Language Teacher Tech Academy, an online platform designed for the professional development of global language educators. Now, I'll be talking to Rachel about all of this and more after the Teachers Talk Radio News. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With exam results looming for students from all four home nations and around the world, Schools Week features an article concentrating on the ongoing impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The article, written by a head teacher, says we need to continue to consider the additional burden of the pandemic. It reminds us that this year's Year 13s were part of a cohort who didn't sit GCSE exams, and that this year's Year 11s were in Year 8 when lockdowns began, although the start of GCSE was supposed to be a return to normal for these students. Teachers too faced the challenge of a return to normal content, having had it reduced over the last two years. ECTs also needed some increased support in delivering the broader content for a number of GCSEs. Workload for pupils and teachers shifted and perhaps increased as schools tried to find the right balance of support, revision and basic content coverage by often offering after school and holiday intervention sessions. Whatever happens for individuals on results days this year, 
the ghost of the pandemic, he says, has not disappeared just yet. The Guardian reports on new local government association research, which suggests council-maintained schools in England outperform academies in Ofsted ratings. The research found 93% of council-maintained schools were ranked good or outstanding by Ofsted as of the 31st of January 2023. This compared with 87% of academies that have been graded since they converted. The study also found only 57% of academies that were already an academy in August 2018 managed to improve standards from inadequate or requires improvement to good or outstanding, compared with 73% of council-maintained schools. The research has prompted many to question the evidence for a move away from council-maintained schools. Currently, 80% of secondary schools and 40% of primaries are academies. Councils were last able to open maintained schools in 2012. A Department for Education spokesperson said academy reforms have played a major role in increasing the proportion of good or outstanding schools. Mary Bowstead of the National Education Union said allowing local authorities to open new maintained schools would boost the ability to respond to demographic changes by opening quality provision. Whilst the research has been seen by many as a warning about the risks of government policy on academisation, some have pointed out that because schools who are failing are required to convert to academies, the numbers are always going to be skewed. A report by the Children's Commissioner shows that eating disorders such as bulimia, anorexia and binge eating are on the rise in England. Figures suggest that in the UK an estimated 1.25 million have an eating disorder but that young people under the age of 25 are disproportionately affected. The report points to NHS figures which it says show a large and recent increase in the numbers of hospital admissions for young people due to eating disorders, with almost half being for those under 25. Whilst the large majority of those affected are female, admissions of young men have more than doubled in the period from 2015-16 to 2020-21. However, according to the report, whilst the number of children and young people starting treatment has more than doubled, so have waiting times for the beginning of treatment. Urgent cases now take more than 12 weeks to begin. The report suggests that government need to tackle some of the drivers of disordered eating, including online content and forms of social media. In the USA, the Education Secretary, Miguel Cardona, says the Supreme Court decision to eliminate affirmative action may help to axe legacy and donor-based college admissions. The Guardian covers the story which focuses on the college admissions process across America. The wealthiest Americans, who are overwhelmingly white, benefit disproportionately from college admissions based on familial relations with alumni and school donors. Cardona praised colleges who have already stopped legacy admissions, including Wesleyan University, Johns Hopkins and Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He said these and other schools were making sure they're doing more for diversity than they were doing before the end of affirmative action. He did, however, make his criticism of the decision by the Supreme Court clear when he said that there are brown and black kids who are going to feel like they're not wanted. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. So welcome back, everyone, and welcome in particular to my special guest, Rachel Lucas. How are you today, Rachel? I'm good. Thank you. What have How you been you? up to? I'm well, thank you. Good. Uh, just 
um, got up, hung out with my hubby, and we went to a pop-up market. And <laughs> now I'm spending some time with you. Fantastic. What is a pop-up market for those of of our listeners who do have no idea what you're talking about? I think I can guess, but what is it yeah, exactly? So in the community that I live in, um, they decided to organize um like vendors come. Mm -hmm. kind of like an art market or event like you know arts and crafts and things like that and they decided to rather than you go to it they come bring it to you and there's like food and jewelry books candles candles bread pastries (laughs) yeah almost about as rest (laughs) but yeah that's great sounds like like uh quite a nice community event as well yeah and yeah, and you get to mingle and meet your neighbors. So it's nice. Fantastic. That sounds great. And uh, so, Rachel, I usually start by asking my guests to talk about how they become became involved in education, how they became teachers. What was it with you? What attracted you to education? How did you become a teacher? Um, I actually was wrapping up school, college, and then um, somebody said how great it was and you know, I, so right as I was finishing college, I was like, I think I'm going to go be a teacher. So I had to like, I finished college and I had to go into, I got a job as a teacher um, and I was supposed to be an uh, graphic arts teacher. And because oh. I spoke Spanish, they wanted me to do both, do graphic arts and um, Spanish. But the high school that, I, that hired me had such a need for Spanish that that other thing didn't materialize. So I became a Spanish teacher and um yeah i was i did that for eight years and then i transitioned to an online teaching and you know the rest is kind of history <laughs> but yeah so did you grow up um as a Sp- did you grow up speaking spanish then at home or i did um so i was born in virginia but my mom is puerto rican and my dad's dominican okay. and so when i guess right as i was learning to speak we moved back to Puerto Rico and I spoke Spanish and then we moved to Dominican Republic. So it's great because I feel like I got the best of all worlds. I got to live in Puerto Rico and experience the culture there, then in Dominican Republic and then back in the States. And so as a Spanish teacher, that is so useful to be able to say and and not just teach about the culture, but coming from an experience of having lived the culture, you know, so it, yeah. it, I love it. It's been such a great thing. I never thought I'd be a Spanish teacher. And it's it's been such a wonderful thing in my life. I love it. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, as, a, as someone who grew up monolingual and learned Spanish later in life uh, properly, even though, um, even though I studied Spanish at school, I didn't really learn uh, how to speak uh, Spanish well until I was an adult. Um, I envy you. I think it's such a privilege to be able to uh, to grow up with more than one language. It's wonderful. And then to be able to use it uh, for work is, is fantastic. It's fabulous, isn't it? Yeah. And one of the other things is that because I had to learn English, um, you know, when I came back to the United States, I understand what it feels like and how overwhelming yeah. and intimidating it can be to um, adjust to a new culture, to um, you know, be embarrassed of speaking a language. And so when I'm teaching my students, I'm teaching them from a place where 
I've been there, but in you're getting to learn it in a classroom setting where it's a lot, you know, so you don't have to be embarrassed. I try to make it a very safe, embarrassed, I mean, um, free um, environment because students are so terrified to be embarrassed in front of the peers. So we yeah. really talk about, it's okay, this is a safe space. Yeah, there's something about speaking a language that causes a lot of embarrassment or there's a kind of very strong barrier, isn't there, to to actually mm -hmm. trying to speak a different language with a lot of people. They feel kind of like they don't feel uncomfortable. It's the same with, you know, my thing about uh, speaking Spanish is I end up not adopting a Spanish or Mexican or Uruguayan, depending on where I've lived, accent, because I feel very uncomfortable about mm -hmm. adopting another accent. And subsequently, a lot of the people I've spoken to, even though my Spanish is pretty good, uh, it's not perfect, it could definitely be better, but it's pretty good. Um, a lot of the people I've, I, I, when I speak Spanish, a lot of the people I think I don't speak Spanish very well because of my accent, because I don't adopt an accent, but I don't feel very comfortable adopting an accent of the culture where I am because it feels like I'm, you know. You should false. go for it. <laughs> and, I don't and, know. You know. It's interesting it, that you say that because we have a lot of American teachers who are who their hmm. primary language is um, English and they learn Spanish out of the love of the language and now yeah. they're Spanish teachers and that's something that I I see. Um, in some of the groups I'm in, a struggle with feeling confident as a Spanish teacher yeah. um, speaking a language and teaching students. And I think instead of feeling self-conscious, we should embrace that and mm. and and let the students know, hey, I know what it feels like. I too feel that way. And it's okay. Let's do it together. So yeah. I think that, that we should embrace that. And it, it makes us more relatable as, as teachers when we do that. Yeah, I think there's something there, isn't there? I think for me, it's something about um, related to identity. I don't think, I don't think anyone who's speaking another language should necessarily have to put on the accent, if you like, so long as they're able to make mm -hmm. themselves understood. If they're able to, you know, there's a certain aspect of accent that you need to do whenever you're speaking a foreign language or another mm -hmm. language. But um, it's also also wrapped up with your identity. I think I don't know. It's it's an interesting subject. But let's not get sidelined. <laughs> yeah. So you said you you were intending to be a graphic and visual art teacher right. so I, in the originally. Well, I went to school. My college degree is in fine arts, and I majored in graphic design. Um, and so, um, but when I was finishing my degree, I decided that I wanted to go be a teacher. So I went, I had to do something called the alternative certification program. So I had to go back to school, get certified. Um, and here in Florida, they let you actually start teaching um, while you're working towards your certificate. So, right. um, so yeah, so I did that and just, you know, became a Spanish teacher and that's kind of how it happened. Um, but yeah, and I should stay doing it. <laughs> have you have you kept up the your interest or your uh, experience in graphic and visual art? Is it something you still do, or have you left it behind? Uh, 
No, I actually, I wasn't that good at it, to be honest. <laughs> I was actually a photography major okay. and my, um, my uh, counselor said, you should um, forget photography. You should market yourself as a graphic designer because it's more marketable. And I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing back then. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, sure, whatever you say. And I just yeah. did what I was told and, yeah. and it'll become a teacher. So <laughs> it, I, I find it fascinating when, whenever I talk to guests on the show that, you know, it, it always uh, is really interesting to hear about um, people's particular journeys and how they ended up where they ended up and uh, so it's fantastic so thanks for sharing that with me so also your interest in technology I'd love to and how that intersects with language teaching I'd love to hear about how you got so involved in that um so I taught high school for eight years I taught Spanish one and Spanish two and then I I be we brought we had to apply and create an IB curriculum and we were accepted as an international baccalaureate school. And so then I began to teach IB. And so I felt like I had been doing this for eight years. We did the IB thing, all of that. I felt like I had grown as much as I was going to grow where I was at and I wanted a new challenge. So I went to go teach online and I did that for two years. I missed the students in the classroom. Um, and so I, while I was online, I, you know, it was all virtual or whatever. So I became more, more techie and I, I wanted to learn how to build a website. So I went and learned how to build a website and I just kind of started playing around with technology. So when I came back to the classroom, I was determined to integrate technology in my new school. And, um, you know, that's kind of where the passion came from, but the irony was because I felt like, oh, I'm going to be such a much better teacher, which I ended up being. Um, but I came to a school that had zero technology. I didn't even have a printer, <laughs> you know, not no, not even one computer in a classroom, nothing. So, um, and it was a Title One school. Title One meaning, um, you know, lower socioeconomic students and mm -hmm. students who are struggling uh, to with basic reading comprehension in English. Um, in the, in those kind of things. So um, I hated that, you know, they didn't have, we didn't have resources. They, I had no yeah. curriculum, no resources, nothing. So I was like, well, how do I bridge the gap? And so I decided to, I started watching and playing around with technology and I noticed that I could engage them, differentiate, save time. And then um, support my students. So I created a website for them with lots of resources and things like that. Um, and that's how my love of technology came. And and um, and then I was like, oh my god, because because that that same school later on that following year, they overloaded me with kids. We were supposed to have like thirty mm. kids max in the classroom. They gave me fifty kids per class. Wow. They gave me one class of fifty. And then they saw, oh, she can handle it. So the following year, all of my classes were over 50, oh, you know, wow. and, the, and the band teacher had 60. So I, I had it easy. So it was crazy. And so I was like, oh, my God, how am I supposed to provide differentiation and IEPs, um, grade all these assignments, communicate, you know? So that's how I started discovering that I could leverage technology to 
to, to save time and engage my students. And then I was like, oh my God, I got to tell people about this. So I started doing trainings in my school, in my yeah. district. I created a whole training website for the language teachers in my district. And I was just trying to share to help people. And then I took it online on Facebook and my community kind of blew up. And Fantastic. that's how it started. That's great. It's wonderful that you decided to share what you discovered with everybody else. I, I, I love that knowledge sharing. It's wonderful. So just to go back to um, to your large classes, how did you find what kind you said you said the student you didn't have access to technology, but you ended up using technology to differentiate, et cetera, and help yourself. Was that technology yes. that you brought into the classroom? Was it right? So this is what I did. Um, my mentality was. I, I, I wanted, I kept asking for technology so mm-hmm. because we needed it. Right. And I, I, I thought about it like this. I felt like nobody's going to give you anything just because you ask, you mm-hmm. have to prove to them why you deserve it. So I said, I need to show them what I can do, you know? And so I went and created all these, I recreated a training website for my school. I created, you know, for the district, I you know, and I did all these things to show them. I said, look, this is what I'm doing. And that's, I have nothing. <laughs> all I have is my computer and a projector. If you give me, you know, um, resources, I can do more. And that's exactly what happened. I, well, they, the next year they gave me my own laptop card and, you know, all of that, but I had to first show improve myself so that I could earn some of those things. Mm-hmm. Right. So you were using your own laptop until they actually I, give you yeah. one. What about projector? Did, did they have a projector? Did you bring your own projector into the classroom? They gave me a projector and I had my teacher laptop and that is all I had. So so to use, um, you know, I couldn't do Kahoots or anything like that because there was no technology, but I could do clickers. Clickers are these paper oh, yes. clickers. So I could do that and my students loved it and they would high five each other. And so little by little, I started, um, then they gave me two computers. So what I would do is I would rotate my students, you know, and then finally they gave me my own laptop card, you know, but when um, when you say laptop card, what does that mean? A cart. So a a classroom, a set of laptops. Okay. um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Sorry. I was hearing card. That was my my mistake. Oh, wonderful. And so um, what kind of things do you end up doing then, apart from the plickers um, and Kahoot, I guess, what other things do you end up doing with your students that you you think would be good for other language teachers to do? So what kind of things? Well, um, what kind of things I did then, or what what kind of things am I doing now with yeah. the kids? Because things have changed. <laughs> Up to you. You you let me know what you think is effective. Well, what I do now is I do a lot of kind of um, I try to incorporate a lot of comprehension based, um, you know, CI um, comprehensible input. So I like to try to have my students reading stories. I like to create stories with them. Um, I have tons of resources that I created a Google um, create a story um, thing. And so I use different tools. Like I'll have um, as, uh, like one of those wheel spinners um, and I'll put, um, I use wheel spinners um, just, and this is the nice thing. 
um, people think that you have to have like a ton of technology. Mm. If you're if you're like I was, which forever I had zero technology, you can use very minimal technology. Like for instance, wheel of names or um, wheel decide. You can take um, and stick some subject pronouns and click the spinner and put your kids in teams and have them go to the board and make it a conjugation game. And so that's what I used to do a lot of, like, and I do. Um, so I'll do the spin the wheel. It lands on a conjugation like yo, okay, I. And then the, the kids have to conjugate the verb that we're talking, like the verb ser, yo soy, you know, tu eres, you know, or it could be hablar or vivir, whatever verb happens to be. That's one way we use it. Another way I used the wheel spinners is I have them create a story. I created a set of story bundles in my academy and um, it has like a plot, a setting and the um, character. And then they spin the they spin the little spinners and you can assign this to them and they um, it'll give them a thing and it's I have it in English, French and Spanish. Um, and then they have to write out a story um, in a Google um, presentation and then, I have a template where they can create, um, uh, what do you call it, comic strips. And so that's another way. And again, it doesn't, you don't have to have a whole lot of technology. And it's so fun. The kids love making those, um, you know, things. They they laugh. Oh, we laugh about the crazy stories they come up with, you know, and they love being creative and sharing what they, um, the stories they created. So yeah, there's so many different ways to integrate technology to help your students build their vocabulary and language skills and have fun. Fantastic. And it does sound definitely like you're a big fan of using games and making sure the mm -hmm. students have fun when they're learning languages. Do you think that's like an essential quality of language learning and teaching? I Yes, I think language should be fun. I mean, learning should be fun. If I'm bored and I'm the teacher, you know, how your students going to feel their your energy is going to rub off on them so if you're like excited about a lesson or like you know um you're introducing culture that's another thing i introduce a lot of culture into my lessons and i also make it about the students you know and so they say i'm teaching about the family right um, I don't say, okay, today we're going to talk about the family and da, 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 da. I start just in English. I'll ask them questions. Hey, tell me about your family member. Oh my God. Do your brother and sister ever take your stuff? Oh my God. Yes. I hate it when they take my stuff. Da, 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 da. Well, who's your favorite uncle? Oh, my favorite uncle. And then we start talking and, and, and we got a huge, everybody's trying to share and it looks like chaos, but yeah. I've got them, you know, yeah. they're engaged and I'm like, Awesome. Now we're going to do that in Spanish. And then I, and now they are in, they are like, oh, I can't wait to say sister. And I don't like my sister. No me gusta mi hermana. You know? <laughs> so yeah. And they're into it now. So that's how I do it. And it works pretty well for me. Oh, wonderful. So the, the trick is then to engage the students in their own language or their first language or English, for example, mm -hmm. and then to, to move on to getting them to be able to in the other language that's really clever and, and make it about them as much as possible when we're creating stories in the yeah. classroom where they're so they're involved they're either it's one of them in the classroom or they're coming up with the story um the, the more they're a part of it the better 
Yeah, so personalization is so important, isn't it? To be able to bring it back to the learners and what they need the language for. Mm-hmm. Yes, and make it relevant. Like, you know, a lot of times we talk about things that the kids don't, like some of the textbooks, they talk about things that the kids don't care about. But you know what they care about? They care about Bad Bunny, you know, and what the latest song, Despacito, what does it mean, you know? <laughs> so making it about stuff that they're actually interested about, you know? Wonderful. What what age group do you teach, Rachel? Uh, right now I'm teaching, it's all of it. It's um, middle school and high school. So right. yes, and uh, my last school, it was middle school. So I spent like, I taught high school for eight years, then online high school. And then I spent the last, I will say seven years teaching um, middle school in the last year and a half. It's a mixture. So do you see much difference between motivation of the students, if they're middle school students or high school students, when it comes to learning a language? Um, do I see? Um, well, it, yes, it depends on what, where they're at, you know, because if you still make it about them, then and if you do if you do a good job at building community then um you know then it will be easier and so one of the ways i build community um and i have i have a, a workshop about how to build community in my academy mm -hmm. um is you know again making it about them and and having a lot of rewards um you know a lot of positive praise if i'm having an issue with a student maybe a student's out of their seat or whatever, rather than focusing on the kid who's out of their seat, I'm going to focus on the kid who's in their seat and working, you know, and I'm going to make an excessive big deal out of that one kid. The kids that are doing what they're supposed to, I'm going to be like, oh my God, you are such a rock star. You're in your seat. You're doing this. And you're, oh my God, you already finished a lesson, you know? And then they're like, me too, me too. Look at me. I did it too. And, and then the one that's out of their seat, guess what? They come back to their seat and they get on a task. So uh, we're in, we're um, focus or energy goes focus. I forget what the saying is, but what you focus on expands. So what are you focusing on in your classroom? It's so easy for us to focus on the kids who are off task. Right. And guess what? We get more of that. If we're focusing and rewarding the behavior that we want to see, that's what we tend to do. Um, you know, and so I do things like praise, public praise. I do things. Um, like little, um, you know, river oak bucks. Um, I used to, in my last school, they were called Lucas bucks. Um, but it, they're like, you know, dollars um, that I print and they're fake dollars. <laughs> um, and then, you know, if they complete a lesson, if they participate, they get um, they get those things. And then they can go to the store and buy um, candy and things like that. I have little treats and stuff like that, chips, you know, and I, and everything has different, like chips are like $5, you know, the big movie theater candies, they're like 10 bucks. So they have to like, you know, purchase those, um, build up their money by participating, being on task, doing their work. That's how they earn money and they get their work done and they're um, also getting rewarded. And I also right. have these little coupons, little scratch off coupons that yeah. they can get 15 minutes on their phone. Um, they can get um, a treat or whatever. You know, another <laughs> thing is dress code. If they come in dress code and they're like, I, I'll give them like a coupon for being dressed appropriately. So those are all things. Mm -hmm. But uh, do you do you get 
do you buy those? Do you provide those? Or does the school provide the prizes, oh, et cetera? You yeah, I, I had the the money. Um, I had Allison Perryman from the cultural classroom. She made those for me because she's very good at like designing stuff. And she made me a set of those. And then the coupons I made myself in Google. Um, uh, so I just, you know, and then I made the, and then I bought these little scratch off stickers from um, Amazon and I put them and I got that idea from Meredith White um, who got it from, I forget somebody else. I, I wish I knew the lady's name so I could give her credit. So I just kind of saw it on Facebook one day and I was like, oh, I'm going to take it and make it my own. So, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. No, I've, I've done something similar. That was, that's with middle school students, I guess. Don't they uh, no, work with high school students? Or what that is? works with my, and, and to give you an idea, these strategies work with any age group and any, any population, because I taught high school and I did a lot of things. Um, one of the rewards I used to do was class of the quarter and class of the month. Um, I teach at a smaller school now. And um, so this is what I've been doing. It's been working well. And this school that I teach at, um, they um, the students are uh, students with drug and alcohol problems and behavior mm -hmm. issues. So right. these are students that have been kicked out um, of the schools in our district. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are like their last um, chance before they go to jail. Some of them wow. are on house arrest. Some of them have the ankle monitors. Some of them, their um, parole officers come to visit, um, you know, they have case managers, parole officers. Some of them have gone to jail and come back and are, you know, again, they're like, if they mess up again, they're going back to jail. Um, so, yeah, those are the students that I teach. These are not <laughs> easy students to right. teach and motivate. Um, it's very challenging. And I, when I came from my last school to here, um, I started using the same strategies because I was like, kids are, kids are kids, you know? Yeah. And I, and at first they were resistant. They laughed at me. They were like, please, your little, your little fake money and your treats and your, you know, and your little coupons. They were like, please, I'm too cool for that. Now, <laughs> God forbid, I forget to give them when they complete a lesson or whatever, God forbid. I forget to give them their, their River Oak buck or their coupon. Um, they would be like, you forgot to give me my, like, where's my coupon? Where's my money? <laughs> can you go to the store? Can you go to the store today? And yes, we can go to the store. So, yeah. That's fascinating. And what, mm -hmm. how did you kind of notice when the change happened in that attitude in the class? Was it because it was some, just some of the students started being interested in it and that led to the others or was it anything you well, did? They saw, yeah, they saw the kids that were into it and that were, you know, they saw how they were getting chips and cookies and whatever. <laughs> and cause I, I, I told them, I said, what do you want me to buy for the, for the, um, you know, River Oak store. And they're like, you know, we want these chips. We want these cookies. We want, um, there's, Krabby Patties is one of the things they asked for. I had never heard of a Krabby Patty, you know? And so I was like, okay, so I go and get it. And, and it's in the little store, the treasure chest. And when they, um, you know, as they earn their money, they can go buy. So, and oh, they wonderful. started seeing that some kids were always having, and they're like, I want in on that too, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Of course, that makes a lot of sense. That's great. 
Yeah, I with the middle age school, a sorry middle school aged students. I used to do something similar when I when I was teaching and when I lived in Barcelona in Spain. I I had Graham euros. And, oh, cool. uh, Graham euros. <laughs> and it was basically I used to reward the students for speaking English. Um, mm-hmm. and for other tasks similar to what you did. And then what I had happening was that we had a kind of generally an English-only environment in the class. Mm-hmm. And if one of the students reported on another student for speaking Spanish, because it was an English class, of course, then I used to reward the student who reported their colleague with with graham euros and so we had a (laughs) we had a an environment where we ended up with everybody only spoke english because they knew they'd be they'd be uh, penalized and their other students that they were with would tell on them basically it was quite it's quite competitive it works really well not here we're here in the states the worst thing you can be is a snitch. It is like no <laughs> yeah. bueno. Well, yeah. I would, I would have thought that. Yeah, um, but it wasn't something I kind of thought through. I just sort of used to try and encourage the English-only atmosphere in the class. And then at one point, one of the students, I think, said, "He spoke Spanish. You should speak English, or you know, English mm-hmm. only, whatever." And so I just pulled out five Graham euros and said, thank you for for, for that. And then that started it. Everyone was just t- snitching on everyone else. <laughs> and they'll be like, snitches get snitches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what I, similar to you, what I had was like once a month at the end of the class for like five to 10 minutes, I used to have an auction rather than a shop. So I used to bring... Generally, I I used to bring things that we had lying around the staff room that were uh, promotional stuff from publishers or uh, that come sort of they've given some free pencils or pencil sharpeners or cuddly toys or other stuff that the school didn't particularly want. And I used to just collect all of those things and things I, I used to do quite a lot of conferences. So things I got at conferences were well, freebies and I just to hold them up and, and they used to bid their money for, for these things. At wow. the end. So we had like a, you know, it was like five, 10, anyone So me, me, me we used to have a, like a, a, a very fast paced auction at the end of the, the month with everything. But I found it, I found it fascinating because some of the students just did not want to spend their money. Their objective was to save as many Graham euros as possible. So it was like mm-hmm. you saw the type of personalities there was. You could see that these students were going to go on and amass a fortune but never spend anything. Then others, as soon as they got money, they spent it. They would spend <laughs> it. So there's like, oh yeah, you're just you're going to be poor for the rest of your life. You're just going to spend everything you get. And then there are others that um that I used to sort of motivate them by showing what would be in the auction uh the week before. And people would some of them would save up their money because they really want a particular thing. That was going mm. to be in the auction. It's a fascinating uh, 
um, environment, actually, because of that. That's so cool that you say that because I was I was always a saver <laughs> ever since I was and if, yeah. I, if I wanted something or whatever I would save it. I'm going to save it for a special occasion or you know whatever. So yeah, I'm like and I now as an adult I'm a saver. So yeah. it's like and then and then we had a couple of incidents where uh, some of the students would steal the granules of the other students. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever have that problem, particularly the 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 students that you teach. Well, it's at my current school, which is, it's miraculous list, uh, miraculous, I can't, I can't say the word, but um, we're so small that I think because we're so family kind of oriented and that's why, um, but our students have, um, I'm telling you, these kids have been in trouble in the lot. We have several students that have mm-hmm. stolen multiple cars, you wow. know, um, and other things breaking into people's houses or whatever. And yet at our school, nothing has been stolen knock on wood <laughs> Wonderful. so yeah you can none of our none of our computers none of our phones yet and then I worked at um the one the school that I told you about that I had 50 kids per class where it all started when I came mm-hmm. back that school um yeah that anything that wasn't bolted down got stolen you know wow. so it was crazy Wow. So yes, I have had that issue, but thankfully not recently. The last couple of schools I worked at, no issues. Thank God. But n- not even with your your fake money, they don't try and steal that. No, not no, they do not. They they um I don't know what it is, but they it's like they they'll give it to each other. They'll be right. like, here, I'll buy you some candy, or, or you know. But yeah. no, we have not had issues with stealing. Thank so goodness. I, I guess it's a it's a respect culture between the students then it sounds like it's like you know they respect each other's private property between themselves yeah thank goodness I mean I just we have created such a little family and that's part of uh, that community building that I talk about in my how to build community Mm -hmm. in your classroom Mm -hmm. um, course Um, it's just it's just I don't know it's just hasn't happened thank goodness yeah. So yeah. Now I I remember when I first started doing this and I spoke at a conference about it and some of the people in some of the other teachers in the conference the questions I got at the end they were like that's a very behaviorist approach to the classroom uh rewarding and punishing uh students for the behavior. Now it, it was an interesting question to ask because it was like yeah it's a little bit but I, it, it's not the only thing I do it's a level of of you know I, w- I was doing it based on a, a present the presentation I was giving was was that and other aspects of gamification because I consider that gamification mm-hmm. really and it was like yeah I think so long as you don't sort of make the reward the aim um mm-hmm then you know if the it wasn't that the money was the reason why they were doing it the reason why they were doing it was the the money was additional um and the 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 auction items were additional the real reason was always for them to speak english i don't know it's difficult to kind of promote but what would you say if someone said what you were doing was very behaviorist or are you okay with that um i don't believe so because 
they're learning and they're enjoying and they're it's they're doing the love of it. So, you know, when I taught high school, my first couple of years, um, I was having a lot of issues with um, engagement and I would have a lot of resistance and I would get comments like, this is America. Why do we have to learn Spanish? You know? And, um, and I used to get mad. I used to want to like break out into a history lesson. And, <laughs> um, and then I was like, okay, no, they don't know. It's my job to educate them and let them know. And I have to make them make it about them. I have to, mm-hmm. you know, why should they learn Spanish? You know, and, and saying things like, well, because it'll make you more marketable or what they don't care about that. They care mm-hmm. about, hmm, what is what are the lyrics to the Bad Bunny song saying? You know, that's what they care about. Yeah. So I had to learn to shift my perspective and meet my students where they were at. And um, and they I went from students who were like, Oh, why do we have to do this? to like kids literally running to my class because they couldn't wait to come to Spanish class and they couldn't Wonderful. wait to do, do the lesson. And what are we going to do today? Yeah. And, you know, and, and then students all the time in every school I've taught at since, how do I get into your Spanish class? I don't, you know, and I'm like, sorry, we're full. <laughs> we have 50 <laughs> plus kids. There is no more room, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. the key, isn't it? The key yeah. is, you know, if whatever you find that works for the particular students you have, to motivate them to learn the language is mm-hmm. is kind of valid i think but it's yeah. interesting what you said about then not a lot of them not understanding why they might need spanish because i've only been to florida once but i was struck by the amount of spanish that was spoken when i was there in 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 lots of parts so i would imagine the relevance of um speaking spanish in Florida should be quite clear because there are lots of Spanish speakers there. They but don't like, care about no, and every yeah. In my first three three years, three four years, that's what I was doing. Well, mm-hmm. you should learn why. And I even had a little video why I learned Spanish. They don't care. They don't care that you might you know get a better job. They might pay you more. They don't care about that. They care about the culture. They care about the food the culture, the traditions, the music, the, you know, right. that's what they're into. That's what they care about. So you meet them with those things. You engage them with those things and you make it relevant to them, you know. Um, and what about and- what about their roots? Do they do many of them? Some of them have family that are Spanish speaking, for example? Yeah, we do have, um, you know, in high school, I had kids, um, you know, and even now, that are um, native speakers and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that was, um, you know, I would get a lot of times some of my um, English speaking students say, well, it's not fair that they're in Spanish class and they speak Spanish. <laughs> and then I would have to like, okay, first of all, you're in English class. You you go to English class, right? Same kind of concept, right? You're mastering your English language they're mastering the Spanish language as well. So I would have to kind of get them to try to look at it a little bit different. 
Um, the other issue is that they may be span, they may be, um, they may have Spanish speaking parents, but maybe they were born here and they yeah. understand Spanish. They may even speak it, but not, you know, they may struggle with it because, you know, um, and then their reading and writing um, needs improvement. Yeah. So, um, you know, because they've been raised, born and raised here. So those are other things to consider. And that's what I also try to explain to, um, you know, my students. And then we talk about crazy things. <laughs> we talk about like, you know, that, like that, that, um, that rapper, Takashi69. And, <laughs> and we, they're like, oh, he's a snitch, you know, <laughs> and whatever. <laughs> and he's shooting with Anwen. So, I mean, so it's like, you know, we, we, they're, and I'm like, well, they knew, they know who Anuel is. Okay. So <laughs> we talk about these things and uh, I don't know, I get them interested and in kind of, you know, I meet them where they're at and I hear what they're talking about. A lot of times teachers don't want students talking in the classroom, but I let them talk because as I'm hearing them talk, I'm like listening and I'm like, okay, I'm hearing what they're into. I can, I can engage them with that. I can, Hey, let's talk about that, you know? And um, yeah. And it, and it makes the class are, they're interested. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, very good strategy. So Rachel, I know you do, you, you've spoken a little bit about it, but I'd like to explore it a bit further. Um, teacher education, teacher training, you, you're doing more and more of that on you now. How, um, is that something you really like doing? Um do you prefer doing it face-to-face, -face, online? Oh, all of it. Most of it I do online. And um, I've been doing it since 20, 2014 um, mm -hmm. when I started creating the training workshops, um, uh, websites and all that. Um, and so, um, yeah, I love training teachers and helping. It's so satisfying um, to be able to make teachers' lives easier. Um, you know, we have so much on our plates as teachers. It's yeah. our jobs. My job as a teacher has only gotten harder. Every year they add something else. There's a ton, especially here in Florida, they're always throwing more paperwork, more training, more, you name it. They're like, here, more stuff, you know? And um, yeah. And so how do I make um, my job as a teacher easier and, and other people's job um, by leveraging technology? So, um, you know, for example, I used to spend hours putting makeup work packets together for students. And then I created a classroom website and everything's there. And the reason I recommend a classroom website versus, you know, Google Classroom, putting it, the, putting the assignments in Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams, Schoology, et cetera, there's no login with yeah. a website unless and especially because i taught at uh so lower socioeconomic schools um i found that the least barriers the better you know mm -hmm. so if they have to log into google classroom or microsoft teams or whatever that's a barrier you know and and the parent can't check you know that's a barrier but if you just go here go to this link and that's it and you can see the makeup work for today that's you know, only one thing they have to do. Um, so I, I, you have to kind of approach it that way. And it makes your job as a teacher easier. I, I went from spending hours putting makeup work packets together to, hey, 
Sure. You need the makeup work? Great. There you go. Just go to this website. Hey, we're going to be out of town for two weeks. Can I get the work ahead? Absolutely. Here's the link to the classroom website, you know? Mm. And so it makes your job as a teacher easier communicating with parents and students and you save so much time. That is one way to save time, um, you know, with technology. The other thing, um, it's, you know, planning, you know, you can use tools like ChatGPT, you know, you can have entire lessons created and differentiated lessons, you know, um, we have we just did a wonderful training with Balino Brenner inside of the uh, World Language Teacher Tech Academy called ChatGPT for World Language Teachers. And there's so many prompts and things that you can talk about there. Um, so I just, um, you know, I love technology. I'm so grateful for it because um, it just makes our jobs as e as teachers easier. That's really funny that you mention Paulino Brenner. I used to be connected to him online many years ago, oh. but I haven't been in touch for a long time now. So oh, uh, he's phenomenal. I should I should get in touch with him and have him on as a guest. Yes, Definitely. he is so one of the most enjoyable working experiences that I've had. I've collaborated with so many people over the years. It's all fantastic. But so far, Paulino has been my favorite. I mean, just wonderfully um, sweet, wonderfully professional. I mean, so many wonderful ideas and creative. I mean, yes, I love him. Fantastic. So, yeah, you mentioned briefly ChatGPT. I know that you've become more and more interested, as I have, in uh, AI um, for education, for teaching, for language teaching. I'd love to explore a little bit more about that. Um, what is it that you do uh, exactly? You you Using ChatGPT for differentiation is one thing you mentioned, but how would you do that? How would you approach that? So, for instance, with ChatGPT, you can say create a, um, you know, a story. Let's say you want to incorporate comprehensible input and you want to do a story about, you know, you've been studying the family vocabulary, right? And you want to do mm -hmm. a story about the family and, and you can um, say, create a story about a fam, um, you know, family book and you can give it the vocabulary words you want. You can tell it the present tense, you know, whatever you can say. Um, even the length, you could short story or whatever. And um, and then you can say and make it in uh, Spanish and English or make it in, the, um, you know, uh, um, do three different versions, a lot shorter, longer, whatever. Um, and, um, you know, for beginning level, middle and, and so forth, example. And, and it will go and create it for you. And then you can say, generate a list of questions from the story, comprehension questions. Now I'm doing a, a workshop um, that's going to show teachers how to take those things. And um, it's a free workshop called Most Have AI Tech Tools for World English Teachers. Um, and that um, I'm going to be talking about how to use different tools to engage and create questions and entire courses all by going create a, a story or create a lesson about this. And it goes and it shoots it out for you. I'm going to be sharing some other tools that are even better, in my opinion, than ChatGPT. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and that is a free workshop, by the way. Wonderful. That's fantastic. And um, 
So there are definitely there definitely seem to be two camps when it comes to generative AI in particular, things like ChatGPTs. Like there's the camp that uh, you and I, I think, are in, which is we think it's a wonderful opportunity that you can actually use AI as an assistant um, mm-hmm. to produce uh, things for you very quickly that will save you time and actually um, make uh, the learners uh to differentiate for example i think it, it's a wonderful wonderful um tool to be able to do that then there's the other camp where they think that they're looking on ai as either something that students would use to cheat or um or they're worried about ai eventually taking their jobs what would you say right. to teachers who feel that way about ai that is a wonderful question and it's such a valid point you're making because that I actually just did a presentation on Wednesday mm-hmm. and that's one of the things they were like, oh my God, thank you so much. This is amazing. And then one teacher's like, but the students can cheat. And I was like, yes, they um, could. However, we have to shift our perspective. Education is changing whether we like it or not. And so the the thing is for us to embrace it and, and instead of like resisting how can we utilize these tools to support our learners and I, I gave the example of when I was a high school teacher mm-hmm. um my first couple of years I had a lot of struggle with cheating mm-hmm. you know and I would just do I used to be like you cheated. That's it. You failed. And I would call the parent all upset. They cheated and and they're getting an F and blah, blah, blah. And then I shifted my perspective and I was like, why are they cheating? What's, <laughs> what's going on here? And so I started to talk to the students. What's, Hey, what's going on? What happened? And then they would complain and they're like, well, I just didn't have time to study. You know, I had to work last night and da 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 da. My baby sister, or you know, you know, some more in the football team. We we stayed up till practice, and these were true. They weren't just telling me stories. This was, mm-hmm. and so yeah. I was, and then a lot of them had a lot of pressure from parents. You know, um, and so I said, okay, let's see if we can shift this around. And so I I changed my model and I made it where they could do test corrections. So if a student failed a test, they didn't just fail. They could do a test correction and 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 they would have to go and work through the questions themselves and find the correct answer, but they could improve their grade. And once I shift my model, my cheating um, incidents, I had none, you know, because their the pressure was no longer there. They knew that they could, you know, try again and 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 recover that grade if they needed to. And I think that's going to be the case with AI as well. I think we as teachers need to look at it from how can we, um, you know, use this to support our learners, which I'm sharing about in my free workshop. And then we won't have the issues, um, you know, of, of, you know, cheating per se, because we're also, you know, how can AI support us as teachers, you know? So we're going to be talking about that. um, And we're going to be, hopefully, those of us are going to be embracing it. um, And that way, we can help our students do the same, not fight it. Like, I know Google 
Google Translate, um, there's a lot of people, oh, Google Translate, you know. Um, and then I think Diego Ojeda, it's the one who did a an entire blog post about the case for Google uh, Google Translate. And he talked about the benefits and how, you know, Google Translate is not your foe. It can be your friend, you know. So I, I think it's just a matter of perspective and how do we use the tools and how do we teach our students to use the tools in ways that it's not cheating, that it's maybe as an enhancement. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the other thing is definitely um, we need to change what we're assessing students on. So if if what if the questions that we're asking them to to respond to are questions they can easily use these tools to get answers for, then perhaps the questions we're asking them are wrong. So right. that idea of making it localization, making it personal. ChatGPT mm -hmm. can't speak about someone's personal life um, mm -hmm. if you're asking them to write something related to that, for example. Um, so there's all that. I think the idea of perhaps we're not asking the right questions or the tests test is mm -hmm. the problem not the tools and yes i mean the other thing is is that these are tools now that people are using for real life they're using uh you know i'm i'm sure you have the same situation as i have i have people friends um that i know who are starting to be asked to use these in work or they're using them for work, et cetera. I've got a friend who's a coder who now he used to go and look for samples of code anyway on the internet. Now he uses ChatGPT to produce them and checks it. So mm -hmm. for about 75% of his time, mm -hmm. he's actually using ChatGPT to save him time. And then another friend who's a copywriter here in Mexico uh, who was a copywriter, sorry, she just changed her job. She was actually um, persuaded and encouraged by the company that she was working for to actually make use of these tools. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, there's they can save you as a teacher minimum 10 hours a week. I'm talking yeah. weekly. Not just 10 hours. I'm talking, you can save, I mean, just think about that for a minute. You can save minimum 10 hours a week using these tools, you know, and, and um, I I can't, can't tell you how, how I'm so grateful because, you know, and one of the things I talked about, because I'm also going to be covering in the free workshop, how to create your own presentations and in minutes and, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I was like, okay, I'm going to teach about this. I need a presentation. I need materials. I need a quiz. I need, you know, all of these things. Um, oh, I don't have time to create it. Let me go on like teachers pay teachers, you know? And then I go on teachers pay teachers and it's not what I needed. You know, I'm like, oh, I could have made something better if I had the time, you know, or it's a little bit of what I need, but I can't edit it because I have to respect the copyright you know or whatever the rules are for the author who created it but can't edit it and make it my own or now there are tools that you can just say hey create a presentation on this and it goes boop, and create me a quiz on this boop, and it's just yeah does it for you you know yeah and, and, and I, yeah 
And as for this sort of worry that teachers have that these tools may well replace them, I don't particularly think that will happen in the same way that all of the um, language learning apps, etc., website mm -hmm. for self-study, etc., hasn't mm -hmm. replaced teachers. These exactly. are just things that supplement teachers right. or give a very superficial um, knowledge of language learning to people who just need the basics, for example. Yeah, I mean, I, I yes, I completely, completely agree. And um, I, you know, I think we're a long way away from that. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think if anything, we're going to evolve and, and, you know, I think we're like on the, on the, you know, kind of like in a, a revolution, you know, that mm. we're a, a technological revolution that we are advancing so fast. And, you know, I think it's kind of like you have to kind of evolve or get left behind, you know, yeah. and, and sharpen I mean, I, your skills. I think if anything, those at risk may be subject teachers rather than the language teachers. So I think, you know, language teachers, we need language to talk to other people. That's why we want and need language. But mm -hmm. if it's accumulation of knowledge, if if a school teacher is all about just teaching something that is that can be learned in another way, so it's just content that needs to be learned and reproduced, then that's a problem. Obviously, I think that that needs to evolve and has evolved. I don't think that is exactly what uh, subject teachers do, but it's kind of analysis, contextualization, um, mm -hmm. and elaboration and using those subjects to actually do practical things, etc. But I think if anything, the skills involved in language learning requires something that I think would be very, is very difficult for an AI to reproduce. Right. And there's something to be said for human connection hmm. that, you know, I mean, I'm super techie, but when I call customer service for a company or whatever, I don't want to talk to a bot or a machine. No. I'm like, I want to talk to a person, <laughs> you know, and there's, there's just something about that human connection that, you know, oh, my card got stolen. And that's why I went through a situation where um, my card got stolen. Um, I, I was shopping and I left it <laughs> at the counter, but I'm like, no, it got stolen. But anyway, so one of my, um, so my, while I was getting my card um, replaced, one of my um, things lapsed. So I had to call the company and explain to them, hey, here's what happened. Here's my new card. And they were able to like not take away that little late fee or whatever. And, you know, I don't know that that is something that an AI would have been able to empathize with and be like, you know what I mean? So at least not yet. <laughs> so yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, technology is a wonderful enabler, I think. So we're using technology now to speak to each other as we wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to do so without technology because we're in different parts of the world. That I find is the most important reason for using technology, not to replace a human mm -hmm. being. That Exactly. Uh, 
that's I don't think it's very interesting. That's such a wonderful point that you make because I have been so fortunate to be able to over the years collaborate with people from all over the world, like yourself. Mm. I've been here in Mexico right now. I'm in Florida. I've worked, collaborated with Paulino, Martina Betts, you know, um, multiple people um, throughout the years and that are all over the place and all over the world. My community is full. Cool. We have over 16,000 members just in the group. Um, you know, and then the email community as well. And these are people from all over the world, the UK, Australia, China. I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, I'm able to do that and, and make an impact in a lot of different classrooms, you know, not just my own classroom, but globally. And I remember it hit me, I started doing this years ago and it hit me the global impact that, um, you know, when I got an email from a, a college teacher, university teacher in France, thanking me for a training I had done. And I was like, what? And how much it had helped her college level students. And I was like, do you mean like college level kids in France are being benefited by the trainings I'm doing? I was like, oh my God, you know? And it, it I was like, I was so humbled and grateful to be able to do this, you know, and like you and I are able to talk and it's all because of technology. So I, I am such a fan of technology. I think yeah. that, you know, we leverage it and we use it to make our lives better and easier. Definitely. I think we're, we're definitely in the, uh, of the same opinion when it comes to that. So, Rich, I'm going to wind things up now. So we've been speaking for quite a long time. I'm sure you've got lots of other things you need to do with your Saturday. And uh, so all I'd like to say is just thank you very, very much for this. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Really glad you agreed to do it. It's been uh, wonderful hearing about everything you're doing and um, lots of great ideas. I'm sure pe- the listeners will 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 definitely benefit from from this conversation. So thank you very much for that. Awesome. Well, thank you. This was so fun. And thanks for reaching out. Oh, pleasure. Thank you. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.